Awesome. You know, we are kicking off today season three of Potholes of Life. Now, some of you are like, what do you mean season three? Like, we got a TV show? And, and, and this actually, it's, 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 it's something the Lord put in our heart. And we went through two previous seasons uh, over the last year of these different potholes that we face in life. And, and, and before we jump into to, to the kick of today, the Kickstarter for today, I want to remind you what a pothole is. I mean, we all have seen potholes everywhere. Anybody ever here hit a pothole? Anybody ever seen a pothole get filled and the next day almost feel like it's open again, right? What is a pothole? A pothole is a depression in a road surface, usually it's asphalt, and where traffic and weather has created a hole and removed pieces of chunks of the pavement. That's why you hit it and, and, and you, you, you go into it. And so as the Lord gave us this series, Potholes of Life, I, I gave a different definition. Let's call it a spiritual definition for what I call a pothole of life. And it's this, a depression in the road of life that causes hurts, wounds, or pain in us and in others around us. I'm going to read it one more time. Depressions in the road of life that cause pain, wounds, and hurts in us and others around us. Now, if you've ever gone on TV, Netflix, Paramount, whatever one of these streaming services, and you're going to start watching a new season, they always have this little thing that comes up, says, last season on, right? So if you've missed any of our previous seasons of Potholes of Life, don't worry. You can binge watch them on our YouTube channel. You can go to our, uh, our, our podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever, and you can hear them all. But these are some of the things we've covered. We talked about repetition, the pothole of doing things again the same way just because we did it that way before. We talked about the pothole of discouragement. Come on, somebody. I've hit this pothole many times in my life. The pothole of fear. We talked about the pothole of living in the past. The pothole of anxiety and worry, of compromise. The, the, the pothole of ungratefulness. The pothole of desperation. And how many of you know that sometimes when we're desperate, we do things that don't please God? And so these are some of those previous potholes that we have covered in the previous seasons, and you can catch them on our website or on our YouTube channel. And today I want to talk about a, a, a new pothole, but it's, not, it's new to the season. It's new to the series, but it's something we've all dealt with. And, and I'll ask you this question. Have you ever had a really bad haircut? Perhaps, ladies, you went to get your hair done, and, and they were supposed to be straightened, and it came out curly, or it was supposed to come out blonde, and it came out purple. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like something happened, and, 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 and this really bad haircut caused you to wear a hat for a couple days, caused you to wear a bandana. If you're a guy, you just shaved your head and started over, right? Can, can, can I tell you something? Can I tell you a secret? COVID caused me to cut a new hairdresser. See, with COVID, uh, all the salons and the barbershops were closed, and Costco was an essential place because they sold food. And so I bought a pair of clippers, and I hired my wife as my hairdresser. And uh, she was a little nervous at the beginning. I was a little nervous. I got very close to God as she cut my hair. Um, I'm going to be honest. I got even closer to God when she called me over like a day later and said, here, come here. And, and she had cut a piece off and said, just cut it the rest of the line. I was like, what? <laughs> you want me to cut your hair? That's different body. And she was like, I'm going to mess it up. I've never done this before. I was like, honey, don't worry about it. Right, right now, we're, we're good. This is what we'll do. Since we're filming on Tuesday to get everything ready for Sunday and then broadcast on Sunday, Tuesday afternoon, you'll cut my hair. 
So if anything goes wrong, I got about a week for it to start growing back. And she does a great job. She actually cut my hair yesterday. I'm at that point. Right, we're good. You cut my hair right before. She's cut my hair on a Sunday morning before coming to church already. She's rock solid. I honor you uh, now cutting my hair that way. I talk to my pastor friends, and I'm like, and I tell Pastor Joel, hey, when are you going to let Amy cut your hair? He's like, I don't got that level of faith, David. I just don't. <laughs> I don't got it. I asked my friend Hunter, Hunter, when are you going to let Liz cut your hair? And he's like, no way. No, I'm going to the barber. And I'm like, man, y'all got to walk in faith. Your, love, your, your wife loves you. You know, we wear the hat, the bandana, we shave off the rest of it because of this word called shame. Embarrassment, right? We feel shame. And that's the pothole I want to talk about this morning, the pothole of shame. Now, what's the definition of the word shame? If you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to find that the word shame is a painful behavior. Painful behavior or distress that is caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I'm going to read it one more time. Painful behavior or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Can I tell you, I, I, I had a problem two weeks ago. I, um, I was here at church and I was getting ready to go to a meeting and I was wearing khaki pants and I went to go wash my hands after using the restroom and, and you know when you go hit the, the squirt button of the soap and sometimes it's clogged and so you press it hard and it squirts? So I went to go wash my hands, and it squirted on my khaki pants. And I was like, oh, God, now i got to clean my, whatever. And then I had another issue. I was like, I compounded the problem. I went, and I got something to try to clean it off, and it started getting soapy. And I was basically washing my pants while wearing them. And I was like, I can't go to a meeting like this. I ended up, I called the person. I was like, I'm going to be late. And I had to go home and change. Why? Because I was like, I can't walk out in public this way. The shame, the embarrassment, the looks. And if we're honest, we all experience shame. We experience it especially when we sin. And the result of the shame, very much like me driving home to put on a new pair of pants, causes us to do things that God wouldn't want. And, and, and I'm going to, let's get into the word. Let's get into Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to give you a little synopsis of what's taking place up to this point. God created the heavens and the earth. God made Adam. God made a suitable helper for him, Eve. And he tells them, you can eat anything except this one tree. And of course, <laughs> tell the human being, you can have anything but this. And it's going to be exactly what we want. And so they eat of this fruit. And this is where we are. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 7. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. See, the devil, through the serpent, had promised them that if they ate of the fruit, they would be like God. But when they ate of the fruit, they were not like God, but they experienced shame. I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I tried something that Satan lied to me and said was going to be good, only to realize that it wasn't God's best, right? 
And so what happens? What was the result of this shame? And I can call it shame because if you go to chapter 2, verse 25, at the end of chapter 2, it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So they knew that they were naked with each other, but they didn't know that they were naked with each other, right? Until the moment that that sin entered and that brought shame. And what did the shame do? Immediately, it made them want to cover themselves. They sewed fig leaves and covered their nakedness. It says in the next verse, number eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, when we read this passage, we can find a few things of shame that we do. The first one is that shame leads us to hide. What did they try? They tried to hide from God, the almighty living God who made everything. They tried to hide from him. And how many times when we feel shame because we did it again, because we fell, because we sinned, we go and we try to hide from God. We try to hide. We, we stop coming to church. We're like, oh, I'm not going to go to, I, I can't, what people, if you're going to know, they're immediate, I, I got I to gotta hide. You know what else shame causes you to do? It says it in those verses. It, cover, it causes them to cover it up. Have you ever tried to cover up something you messed up only to make it worse? <laughs> I'm sure we all got stories. Tried to fix it. Try to change it. It broke. Let me go buy a new one. <laughs> Try to cover it up. Man, that leads me, reminds me of a story of this man who was a very wealthy man, and he was trying to find an heir that he was going to leave everything to. And so he called these men over, and he gave them all this plant or, or, or a pot with a seed inside and told them all, there's a seed in there, and I'm going to measure in six months and whoever has the largest plant is going to be my heir. And six months passed by, and throughout the time of the six months, all these men, they were there, and nothing was growing. There was nothing growing. They would water it. It wouldn't grow, and all these different things. And, and so one by one, they, they, they all started saying, I got to do something. And, and, and so they, they, they actually went in there, and they got another seed of a plant, and they planted it, and it started sprouting. And six months passed by, and these men come before him, and everybody has a pot with a plant of a different size, and one guy has nothing. So the very wealthy man looks at everybody and says, I've made my decision. This gentleman over here, he is going to be my heir. And everybody looks at him and says, but his pot has nothing. See, in there wanting to cover up the lack of growth, what they didn't realize is that he was testing their integrity and every single pot had dead seeds inside. The cover-up was worse. The cover-up made them lose the inheritance. Sometimes the cover-up makes it worse. We tell our kids all the time, just be honest with us. 
Just tell us the truth. But shame makes us want to hide. Shame makes us try to cover it up. They sowed fig leaves. You know what else shame produces? What else shame does? Shame will get us to the place not only where we cover it up, not only where we get to that place that we are hiding, but it will also lead us to shift blame. He calls on Adam, and Adam says, the woman that you gave me. In other words, he was saying, God, it's your fault. <laughs> Eve learns from her husband and said, it was the serpent. The serpent had nowhere to hide. <laughs> Three things that shame causes us to do. It causes us to try to cover it up. It causes us to hide causes us to shift blame. We see this happen in the scripture time and time again, and we've seen it happen in our lives. Another example that we see is King David. I love King David, not just because we share the same name, although it's pretty cool. <laughs> David is the only person the Bible says is a man after God's own heart, yet David was a guy that was pretty messed up at times. As a matter of fact, he did something so bad that he was ashamed and did all of these same type of things. It's in 2 Kings chapters 11 and 12. But I'm not going to read them now. I'm not going to read the whole chapters, but you guys can write it down and read the story. 2 Kings 11. First things first, David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Hmm. Anybody ever get in trouble because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time? David was home in the palace, and the Bible is very clear during the time that the kings were at war. He was the king of Israel. He was supposed to be at war, but he stayed home in the palace. Mistake number one. Then when he goes out to the rooftop, he sees Obesheba taking a shower with not a big enough shower curtain across the street. Sees her on the balcony showering, says she's beautiful. Mistake number three, he says, bring her over to the house. The Bible recounts that he sleeps with Bathsheba. Now, there was no ultrasounds back then. There was no that type of stuff. So maybe six weeks, two months passed. We don't know exactly how much was the time. But Bathsheba come and tells him, David, I'm pregnant. And there starts the cover-up. David says, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll call her husband back from war. I will recall him from war. And the husband is recalled from war. Uriah is recalled. And David says to Uriah, he lies to him in the cover-up. He says, Uriah, come on, man. You're so good. You're such a good soldier. You're an awesome man. I wanted you to come. Go be with your wife. Go home tonight. But Uriah, in his integrity, he slept at the steps of the palace. And they come and they tell David, Uriah didn't go be with Bathsheba. So David says, well, I got to take it up a notch. And so you know what David did? He brings Uriah over for dinner again, and he laces him with drinks, and he gets him drunk, and he tells him, hey, why don't you go home? Go be with your wife. And Uriah, even in his drunken stupor, was even more integrous than David at the moment and says, how can I go be with my wife when men are at war fighting? And he slept again at the steps. So then David continues with the cover-up. I mean, he's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. He gets a note, and he writes a letter to the captain of the guard, the captain of the battle of the war, and he writes and says, put Uriah in the front of the fiercest battle and sound the alarm and retreat and leave Uriah alone so that he may die. 
he enlisted a partner in the cover-up. That's right. And then the partner does it. And he tells that he, he writes a letter back and goes to one of the people in the military and says, go tell David we lost the battle. Well, guess what? David was a man of war. So how do you think David was going to take the news that he lost the battle? Not very well. So nobody wanted to go tell David the message. And you know what the captain of the guard said? He said, when David's anger boils hot, tell him, and your servant Uriah died in the battle too. See, because whoever you enlisted to help you in the cover-up is going to bring it and dangle it over your head, aren't they? Mm, ah, that's not enough to stop trying to cover stuff up. I don't know what is. So they come and they tell David. David thinks, I got away with it. I've been there. David thinks, I got away with it. Until 2 Samuel chapter 12 when the prophet Nathan comes to speak to him. And the prophet says to David, David, may I share with you a parable? Online campus, watch, watch. Let me, if you're zoom, zoom in here, right here, whoever's, uh, Marco, zoom in right here. Online campus, I'm talking to you. He says, I got a story to tell you. There's these two men. One's got everything. One's got one little you lamb. And the man with everything took the one ewe lamb from the other one. And David gets boiling hot in anger, and he yells, that man shall die. Because, man, even when we're in the highest point of the shame level, if somebody else messes up, we want to bring it out on them, don't we? And the prophet looks at the king and says, that man is you. Instantly, everything was uncovered. Instantly, everything was exposed. Instantly, everything was wrong. But you know why God can say that David is a man after his heart? Because of David's response to the shame. Do you know what David's response to the shame? Please throw up verse number 13, 2 Samuel chapter 12. David's response was, I have sinned against the Lord. David did not continue in the shame. David's response was not to run from God after he tried to fix it on his own. His response was to throw himself at the mercy of God. His response was to run to God. His response was to acknowledge he had messed it up. And the prophet says, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. Can I tell you something? Shame makes us want to hide. Shame makes us want to cover it up. Shame will make us try to play the blame game, but we don't need to run from God. We need to run to God. I said it this way, and I like it this way a little better. We don't need to run from God. We need to hide in God. Hide in God. Shame causes you to want to hide, but we're hiding in the wrong places. We're hiding in the crowd. We're hiding in the, it, 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 behind closed doors. We're hiding in things, and we need to hide in God. This is why David writes, you are my hiding place. 
It's why David writes, I will hide under your wings. I will hide under you. We need to run to God and hide in God. Your response to the mess up, how quickly you will get away from feeling shame and get right with God, determines how long you're going to stay in that pothole. We're going to do it because, I mean, if you didn't know us, I mean, I think you all know this, but just in case you didn't know, you're going to mess up again. You're going to sin. Every day our job and our desire is to get closer to God and sin less. But you're going to mess up. And shame is a weapon that the enemy uses to derail us, to give us a flat tire, to make us lose course. Don't run from God. Go hide in God. And I felt as I was been studying for this and, 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 and preparing for this, th- this thing had just continued hitting me. Because one of the ways that the enemy tries to give you shame is at the moment of temptation. Have any of you felt, let's be honest now, have you felt shame because you were tempted with something? But I need to, you to understand that according to the Bible, temptation is not sin. Some of you right now are like, oh my God, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Temptation is not sin. The Bible tells us in multiple accounts that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. But the enemy has lied to us and makes us feel shame because of the fact that we even just thought that. But what we need to do when the thought comes in is run back to God and push the thought away to not fall into the sin. Because if you let the thought remain, then you will sin. Let's give you a practical example. You go to the grocery store, men. You got your shopping cart, and you're about to go pay. And there's a line that is very short and a line that is very long. But the short line has an inappropriately dressed woman. Wait the extra 15 minutes and get in the other line. Don't sit where the temptation is going to make you think about stuff. That may not deal with something that day, but 10 days later, two weeks later, three months later, that image is still embrained into your head. What is it that when the temptation comes, say, I don't want to feel shame for sinning, so let's go another way. Flee from the temptation. Get away from the temptation. People ask me sometimes, Pastor, why aren't you on Instagram or social media anymore? I, I, I got rid of my account. I don't even do the posting of the church stuff. And when I post something for church, I download the app, I post it, and I delete the app again. Why? Because sometimes, I'll be very transparent, sometimes it is very harmful. Oh, what do you mean it's very harmful? Can I be honest? I'm going to be honest, right? I see some of your posts. And people that I've been talking to and helping and we minister and we pray and whatever and we talk about the stuff. And all of a sudden, the post that they're putting, it's like, why? Why are they using those words? How can they be okay with this? And that hurts. I told them I was going to be transparent. So you know what I did? I want to preach to you guys out of all ounce of fiber of love and compassion and mercy. So I don't want to see it. Because sometimes it makes me spiral and think, am I not doing an effective job? 
I thought I was clear. Like I've had moments where I talked to my wife and I was like, I preach from the pulpit that this is wrong. I say it to the people, why? So I made the choice a year ago to delete my account. Personal choice. Why? Because then the temptation leads to a thought. And the thought leads to a this or a that or the other. And before you know it, I'm not being very pastoral with somebody. And it wasn't because the Holy Spirit showed me something. Mm. Let that one sink in for a second. Because there's a lot of manipulative ministers out there. It's not that the Holy Spirit showed you something. So what do we need to do? Avoid the shame. If you mess up, run and hide in God. Do what David did. I have sinned. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse number uh, 20, I think it is. 23, I can't remember. 20. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. This is what God tells the people of Israel through the prophet Samuel when they rejected him. This is when the people of Israel came to Samuel and said, we don't want you anymore. We want a king like everybody else. And Samuel says, what you did was wrong, but don't stop serving God. Can I tell you something this morning? When you mess up this week, when something happens and the devil brings you shame and you feel like trying to cover it up and you feel like trying to hide in a corner and you feel like trying to blame somebody else because it was somebody else's fault because of this, because of that or the other, throw that off to the side. Run and hide in God and do this. Acknowledge your sin. Repent for what happened. Receive his mercy, his grace, and forgiveness. And then follow him. Because God will never not forgive you. Now, Paul writes, don't abuse your grace. Not in those exact words, but is the concept. What does that mean? Don't willfully do something wrong knowing that God's going to forgive you. You know that whole thing that we say sometimes? Oh, I'd rather just ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. You ever heard that saying before? In the workplace? You ever used that saying before or done it? Let me just do whatever I want to do in my will because I can just say I'm sorry later. No, no, no. God, what do you want me to do so that I can follow your will? But if you mess up, don't hide it. Don't say, thank God for online campus. Look, at online campus, we love you. And just some of you that are watching because of illness or different things, please don't take it the wrong way. But I've met people that because of sin, they have decided, well, I can just watch from home because I don't want anybody to see me or I don't want anybody to know that I'm going through something. If that's you, know that God loves you. And his mercy is there to grab you. See, this is a perfect example of Luke chapter 15. 
The story of the prodigal son, isn't it? Isn't that an example about shame? See, the prodigal son, he asks his father for all of his money, his inheritance, and he goes off to a faraway land, and he wasted all and got to the point where you know what the prodigal son did? He was feeding the pigs, desiring to eat the pig food. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long, but it was long enough him sitting there that he finally had a moment and said, I'm eating pig slop, and in my father's house there's all these things, right? So let me go back to my father and tell him I'm not worthy anymore. I'm not worth it. And he goes back, and the Bible says that before he reached, the father came, ran to him, hugged him, put shoes on his feet, clothes on him, killed the fatted calf, and the kids started saying, I'm no longer worthy. Oh, can I tell you, church, this morning, you may have walked into this place today. You may have tuned in online today thinking, I'm not worthy of his love. I'm not worthy of his forgiveness. I'm not worthy of this. But I'm here to tell you, the pothole of shame needs to die because God says you are worthy. God says you're worth it. Repent and walk into the forgiveness that he has for you today. Pothole of shame is real, but the love of my God is even bigger. The pothole of shame is nasty, but the mercy of my God knows no end. So this morning, worship team, if you can come up, start playing um, the song I told you. I, I, reckless love. Hide in God. Hide in God. Tell him this morning, I have messed up. Tell him this morning, I am sorry for what I did. And receive his forgiveness. Receive his mercy. Receive his grace. Because you are worth it. Because no matter how hurt you are, your God can fix it. Jesus says we're supposed to have childlike faith, and I understood it a little bit deeper with my kids. My children think I can fix anything. Whatever toy breaks, here, Dad, fix it. I have limitations. But their faith in coming to dad and asking for him to fix it is the faith that we need to have to go to our heavenly father, not to hide and cover up and blame someone else, but to run to him and say, God, I hide in you today. I mean, think about the woman with the issue of blood, the shame she must have had. 12 years of hemorrhage, 12 years of being unclean, 12 years where she's wasted all her money, she's wasted all her time, she's wasted everything, 12 
years until the moment that she said, if I stop hiding, but I press through the crowd and reach him, I will be made well. And guess what? She put the shame to a side for a moment. She ran and pressed through the crowd to get to the place where she touched the hem of the master and the shame went away and the illness went away. And let me tell you this morning, church, let it go away. Let the shame go away. Let the pain go away. Let the illness go away because your God loves you and he's here to give you his unbounding, never-ending grace. Shame is real. But it doesn't need to have a hold of you. Yes, you will feel it when you hurt God and sin. But you will receive your deliverance when you run to God and say, I have I want you to stand to your feet all around the room. I said it in our 9 a.m. service and I hadn't told the worship team, but I was sitting in my office while they were doing their run through this morning and making sure everything was fine. And I, I faintly heard them playing this song and I just felt from God that I needed to have a time where we could just worship him and, and talk to him and, 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 and tell him, God, I am sorry. And there's two people that are listening to me this morning. Two types of people. Perhaps you fall into the first one, which is somebody who has never, ever given their life to God. So they've never experienced what this freedom or salvation is. And if that's you, man, I got good news for you. Jesus died to forgive you and make a way for you so that you can be with the Father in heaven. And what does it take? It takes acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God and putting your trust in Him, confessing that trust. So if you're in that pocket of people, I want you to pray this with me, even if you're online. And in church, pray it together. Say, God, I'm a sinner. On my own, I can't get to you. But I believe Jesus is your son. He came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. And today, I ask Jesus, come and live in my heart. Write my name in the book of life. And from now on, God, I'm yours. And you are mine in Jesus' name. Man, if you were in that first pocket of people, th th this is good news. You just received salvation and there's a party going on in heaven for your sake. You need to tell somebody about it and you need to understand. It doesn't mean that now you're perfect. It just means that you have access to the God that can forgive you every time you mess up. Now, the second pocket of people are those that have allowed shame to grip them. I feel in my spirit there's some of you in this place today or tuning in online that, that even though you're here, you feel that you have been disqualified from serving God or praying or doing different things because of a sin in your life. But I'm here to tell you this morning that shame is a pothole. You just need to run and hide in God. Acknowledge, repent, and receive your forgiveness. And so this morning, we're just going to jump straight into the chorus. If we can just jump into the chorus and the bridge and just build up on that. And we're going to worship God. And you individually talk to Him. Individually tell Him what you need to repent for. 
and receive your mercy, receive the forgiveness, receive the grace. The altar is open if you want to worship at the altar and talk to God, if you want to kneel down, if you want to, whatever it is, but don't miss the opportunity to strip the shame off of you and walk in the fullness of what God has for you.